Good morning. Let's uh, thank the kids again for that awesome rendition. Good job as they take off. And uh, I think Julia, I don't know if she's here, Julia and uh, Ashley were instrumental in putting that together, so thank them as well. Uh, just a couple things before we get started. Uh, just to let you know, those coats were not like going to you can't like collect them and then take them home now. This wasn't just a display. We're gonna, those coats are going to be donated to Path of Life Ministry. It's a, a homeless ministry, and so they'll have those on hand. I know it's getting into the hot season. It's getting warmer, but they save them, and so when it, get cold, it gets cold again, they're usable. The other thing is, on the welcome table on the way out, we didn't put these in the bulletin this week because we uh, didn't have enough because we gave away so many on Saturday at the, uh, as we gave away the bags at Stater Brothers. But if you have someone you want to invite and you want to give them a card for Sunday, there's uh, some extras on the welcome table out front. All right? Good? Uh, life is kind of filled with a mixture of triumph and tragedy. Uh, in sports, for example, uh, I remember in high school, my football team, they won the CIF quarterfinal game triumph. Uh, But near the end of the game, one of our key players, one of our running backs, major guy, was injured. So he wasn't available for the next game. We lost. Tragedy. Not a big deal, right? For you. It was for me. There were tears on the bus on the way home. Or in a much greater way. Much greater way. We have the example of war. Uh, Really any war. Even even for the side that is triumphant, there's, there's tragedy and destruction and the loss of life. I also saw this mixture of triumph and tragedy in a movie I recently watched. Uh, it's called Everest. It's the true story about, you guessed it, climbing Mount Everest. There was a sense of great elation, uh, of triumph for those who reached the top and then made it back safely to base camp. But uh, that sense of triumph was greatly overshadowed by the tragedy of those who didn't make it back safely, uh, for those who lost their lives in an attempt to climb a mountain. Now today, on Palm Sunday, we come to a time of triumph and tragedy in the life of Jesus. Follow along with me as I read from Luke uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where you're entering. You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, 
If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, now many people will stop there, and that's the Palm Sunday message, but it goes on. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So this week, Palm Sunday, and next week, Easter, we're going to be taking a break from our from Romans. Now, Palm Sunday, traditionally seen as like the, the apex, the high point of Jesus' ministry, it's the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into the holy city, the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a day of great contrasts. Jesus is coming as, as king, but he's coming in humility, riding on a donkey. The people honor him. They, they spread their cloaks before him on the ground, waving the, the palm branches, throwing them down. They rejoice and praise God for his arrival. Luke 19.38, blessed is the king comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the traditional triumphal Palm Sunday it's good. It's right. Jesus is being exalted as He should be. However, there's something else going on here. Something, uh, I believe, deeper. And something tragic. The people are welcoming their King. Because He's the, oh, he's the one they believe uh, will free them from the oppression of Rome. They're cheering for their Messiah, their Deliverer. Who they believe will, it will come and, and set up a, a new kingdom in Jerusalem. He'll rule with mercy and with justice. They're envisioning one who will drive the Romans out, just like David drove the Philistines out. An earthly, political, warrior king. But Jesus knew the truth. He knew that these same people, this multitude, in just one week, would either be silent or be shouting for his crucifixion. So you can see how this would create some emotional distress, some tension in Jesus' heart. He enjoys the, the people's welcome because he knows the rightness of it. The Pharisees demand that Jesus put a stop to it. But Jesus says, I tell you, if these are, were silent, the, the stones would cry out. Jesus won't. He doesn't silence the crowd. Because what happened on that first Palm Sunday pictures the rightness of Jesus being accepted as the King. Yes, he says, you have it right. I am the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem is my city. You are my subjects. This is truly the triumphal entry. But it's also the tragic entry. Why? Because the multitude cheering for Him uh, don't really understand. Don't really know who He is. They don't understand His purpose. They're called disciples, but, but most will desert Him. And in just a few weeks, some may even shout for His death. 
Jesus knows that there will be no rain in Jerusalem, no peace, no justice, no coronation day. At least not at this time. He hears the triumphal cheers of praise, but he knows that they will turn to tragic rejection. He's the subjects of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will rebel and He'll be crucified. So on Palm Sunday, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, what will He do? What will He say? How will He respond? We find our answer in, the, in those final verses that we read this morning. And this is what we'll focus on. In verse 41 we read, And when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it. Tears from Jesus. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is being hailed as the King of the Jews. He's being welcomed, being blessed, being praised. And we can't be sure of all the emotions He's experiencing, but we know that there's, there's a deep sadness in His heart. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And that word weep is, is sob, is, is wail, mourning, lamenting. It's a, it's a, it's a funeral type wailing. There's, other, there's another word in the Greek for just, you know, regular tears. Like you slam your finger in the, with a hammer and you cry. This is not that. Jesus is weeping. Not just for a city, but for its people. The crowds are cheering, but Jesus is weeping. And what follows in verse 42-44 through 44 is, is the explanation for, for why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And we need to get this. What caused the God of the universe, the Creator, Jesus, what caused Him to weep? Now as we read the passage this morning, it may be clear that Jesus is weeping, and He, and he states it, because Jerusalem is going to be physically destroyed. Many people will be uh, killed. There will be war. We'll talk about that destruction of Jerusalem in our third point. But, but Jesus is not just weeping for the destruction of a city and its inhabitants. He's weeping over the reasons behind the destruction. Reasons that have to do with the heart. God is always more concerned about matters of the heart. The hearts of the multitude cheering Jesus on. The hearts that would turn on Him and ultimately reject Him for who He was. Once they find He's not who they think He should be. So first, Jesus wept because Jerusalem would not accept peace. That's our first point this morning. Following the statement that Jesus wept, and again, picture wailing, sobbing, tear-filled eyes. He says in verse 42, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus is lamenting. The fact that Jerusalem, that the, the Jewish people did not know the things that made for peace. And the first thing I want us to focus on is that, is that word know. At first glance, you might say, well, well, if it's a problem of knowing, if it's a problem of lack of knowledge, why don't you just fix it? Why don't you just inform them about the things that make for peace? Give them the peace treaty. Show them the, the, the things that make for peace. But that word no does not just refer to a lack of knowledge. It also has to do with approving of something, of, of acknowledging the truth of something, of accepting the truth of something. We can see this clearly. Just an example, same word used in Matthew seven twenty-two and 23. Jesus says, 
On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, declare to them, I never knew you. Same word. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, Jesus knows everything there is to know about every person. So when he says, I never knew you, means I never approved of you. I never acknowledged your rightness. I never accepted the works that you were doing. That's the sense in which no is is in Luke 19.42. Would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Means that would that you have approved of and acknowledged, accepted the things that make for peace. Jesus is lamenting the fact that that the Jewish people have rejected Him. They haven't accepted His terms of peace. That's really what that uh, phrase means. The things that make a peace are really peace terms. Terms of peace. Jesus weeps because many of those who were cheering for Him on Palm Sunday would not accept uh, the terms of making peace with God. So the picture we should have in our minds as Jesus approaches Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is is very different from, from what's on the surface. They're cheering for their king, but at the same time, it's, it's tragic. They're rejecting God's peace terms. Now, what exactly are his peace terms? We'll get to that shortly. But first, let's look at the second reason for Jesus sweeping, because they're connected. The second reason for Jerusalem's destruction. They wouldn't accept the terms of peace because, second point, Jerusalem would not accept Christ. And you can add, would not accept Christ for who He was. They're accepting Him for who they think He is, for who they want Him to be, but they won't accept Him for who He truly was, truly is. Christ is the one who brings peace between God and man. And at the end of verse 44, after Jesus spells out, after He uh, gives this prophecy, we'll look at it in a second, of the destruction of Jerusalem, He gives the reason for the destruction, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And that word no, same word we talked about from verse 42. They didn't know, they didn't accept the terms of peace, and they didn't know, they didn't approve or acknowledge or accept the time of your visitation. Now what is this visitation? In the Old Testament, the the term visitation was used to, to, to refer to God's coming to His people. God visiting His people. And He comes for, in the Old Testament for one of two reasons. Either to judge or to save. We have examples of both. Isaiah 29, 5 and 6, the prophet says to a rebellious people, he says, and in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord. The Lord of hosts will thunder and with earthquake and with great noise, the whirlwind and the tempest and the flame of devouring fire. That's a visitation of judgment. God comes to His people who are in rebellion against Him and visits them with judgment. But in in Genesis 50-24, Joseph says to his brothers in Egypt, he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So, So the exodus... The, uh, uh, God's deliverance of His people from Egypt was a visitation, not for judgment, but for salvation. So really, there's, that, there, there's two. He's either visiting to judge or to save. So what's Jesus talking about here? What's Luke referring to? If we look at, 
uh, two other places in Luke where he uses this term visitation. We'll see he's clearly speaking of God's visiting to save his people. Luke 1.68, Zechariah, uh, the father of John the Baptist, prophesies about Jesus and says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And in Luke 7.16, after Jesus had raised up a, a widow's son from dead, from the dead, Jesus, Luke says of the people in the village of Nan that fear seized them. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited His people. So when Jesus says to the people of Jerusalem, you did not know the time of your visitation, He means you didn't approve of, you didn't accept Me, you didn't, you didn't understand that I was your Messiah, that I am the Christ. You didn't acknowledge that My coming is the coming of God for your salvation. They would not accept that God in Jesus Christ had come to save them from their sin. They didn't accept Him for who He was. They didn't accept that in in Jesus would come their eternal salvation. They thought He had come to save them from Roman oppression. But He had come to save them from their own sin. They were overjoyed. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord as they thought He would deliver them from the Roman Empire. They weren't willing to face the fact that they needed to be delivered from their own sin. Jesus is saying, you want an earthly, a warrior king. You won't accept Me as the king that I am. The king of your heart. The king of your mind. The king of your soul. So Jesus is weeping because the people of Jerusalem the Jewish people, the ones uh, cheering Him on Palm Sunday, they wouldn't accept God's terms of peace. And they wouldn't accept Christ as their Savior King that He truly was. Now, again, you might think, okay, this is a... just they, Why doesn't Jesus just stop and tell them? Okay, guys, uh, thanks for the blessings, but you really need to know who I truly am. That they didn't have the knowledge. They just needed Jesus to spell it out. But it wasn't that they didn't have the information they needed. As we saw, if you were with us for the year, we went through the Old Testament. Uh, Over and over, God pointed out uh, there and our need for a Savior, someone to save us from our sins. Maybe the clearest Old Testament passage. It was sort of developing throughout the Old Testament. And we get to the book of Isaiah. We get to chapter 53. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, even though it informs all of this. Verses 5 and 6, Isaiah 53, speaking of the, uh, the promised Messiah, we read, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The Old Testament makes it clear that the the visitation is coming. One is coming. A Savior, a Messiah is coming to die for sin. And that coming will bring peace between God and man. And in the New Testament, that Savior is identified. The terms of peace are clearly revealed. Probably the clearest example of of both uh, Jesus' visitation and the terms of peace occurs in the Gospel of John. Familiar passage, John three sixteen through 18 Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The visitation is clear. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, not to condemn, but to save. And the terms of peace are clear. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. They'll not perish. They'll be given eternal life. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's already happened. The terms of peace are therefore belief, trust, putting your faith in in this visiting Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not that they didn't have access to the information. It's that they didn't want to approve of it. They didn't want to acknowledge it. They didn't want to accept what they had received. This is very similar, if you've been with us in our time in Romans, to what we, we, we've seen in the book of Romans. God reveals Himself to, 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 to everyone through creation. But people don't want to accept Him. They don't want to accept Him for who He is. And so they... They, by their unrighteousness, suppressed the truth, Romans 1.18. They, the Jews, had been given the information, but had suppressed it, hadn't acknowledged it. They didn't think they needed a Savior. They said, we're the covenant people. We don't need someone to save us from our sins. Just get rid of Rome and we'll be okay. They didn't accept the knowledge that they were sinners in need of a Savior. Instead, they chose to ignore it and to reject it. And in ignoring and rejecting uh, information, the revelation of God to His people is a very dangerous thing to do. Again, in our study of Romans, the full uh, Romans 1.18, uh, we know where it goes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For those who do not accept Christ for who He is, the visitation. For those who do not accept God's terms of peace, faith in Christ, but instead suppress that truth, the result is the wrath of God. That's the final reason for Jesus' weeping. Jerusalem would be judged. The wrath of God would come upon Jerusalem and its people. They're expecting Jesus to bring a a, a new messianic kingdom. But instead, all that is left of the existing kingdom would be destroyed. The people of Jerusalem had been given the information they needed. Their true king was in their midst. And even though on Palm Sunday it looked like they were receiving him triumphantly, in reality, they had already tragically rejected him. They had rejected his visitation and his terms of peace. And, and now, it's too late. Here's Jesus' tragic words. This is maybe why he's weeping so violently, I think. Would that you had even, excuse me, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Scary. Jesus reveals to us here something very deep about his heart about the heart of God. There's a tension here. On the one hand, he expresses grief, sorrow, sobbing that Jerusalem has rejected him. 
has rejected him as he came to them, as he visited him. They've rejected the, the peace proposal. He weeps and he cries out, oh, that you, you had known my visitation. Oh, that you had accepted my terms of peace. He's broken hearted because the people had rejected him. But in the same breath, he bows before the sovereign decree of his Father in heaven. God has hidden these things from their eyes. I don't fully understand this. There's a, there's a tension here. I'm skeptical of those that try to explain it. The mind of God, His purposes and plans are not simple. They're complex. They're often beyond our complete understanding. For the finite creature, that's me, that's you, to think we can understand all the motives, all the purposes of an infinite Creator is foolish. But in Jesus Christ, we get a glimpse into the heart of God. From one standpoint, God is not willing that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He is grieved at our sin. He's grieved at our destruction. We see this in Jesus' tears for Jerusalem. But from another standpoint, from a larger, all-encompassing perspective, God deems it right to at a certain point in time to hide the terms of peace and allow humanity, rebellious humanity, to fall into their own sin and into judgment. There's a tension here that we need to hold in faith, in reverence, and in awe of God. For Jerusalem, the the historical form of their judgment came in uh, 70 A.D. So Jesus prophesies about it in verses 43 and 44, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Some 40 years later, 70 A.D., this prophecy came true. The Roman army besieged, they were they were rebelling against, against Rome. They besieged Jerusalem and conquered it. They leveled the temple to the ground. I say this is the historical form of God's judgment upon Jerusalem because the destruction of a city and even the loss of a physical life is not the end, but only the beginning of God's judgment. There's an eternal judgment. And I believe this, uh, maybe above all else, is why Jesus is weeping, caused his tears. This goes, and this goes far beyond uh, one city. It goes far beyond one group of people. This is eternal judgment. It applies to all of humanity. It applies to you and to me. I know this isn't fun, but Jesus, Jesus, more than any other person in Scripture, spoke of eternal judgment. He spoke of hell. He spoke of it clearly. Maybe because he understand, understood more than anyone else the reality. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus describes hell as a place where, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he gives, he gives this warning to Jerusalem. This, this warning comes only a few days after Palm Sunday. This is part of this Passion Week. He says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 33-38, you servants, 
servants, I can't read, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Baraki, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The prophets had come and they had been killed and rejected. Jesus had had visited. The visitation had come. He had come in humility and with mercy. He had come in offering love, offering salvation, offering the terms of peace. And they had rejected His offer. They had rejected God the Son. And now, as His death approached, it was too late. We need to understand that there is a too late in dealing with God. He may stretch out His wings and call you again and again. Come, come, come and experience My love. Come and experience My grace. Come and experience My mercy. But there will come a point when His call will cease. When the sentence will be passed. When it's too late. How often would I have gathered you in my wings and you were not willing? Now your house is desolate. Your suppression of the truth, your rejection will be judged. And the terms of peace are now hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they would not accept His terms of peace. And because He knows that this rejection will result in their, in, in their immediate physical destruction, and ultimately their eternal destruction. It's okay. You might say you've talked a lot about why Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, Sunday, wept for Jerusalem, wept for the people of Jerusalem. But what does that have to do with us today, celebrating Palm Sunday in Riverside, California? And I would say absolutely everything. It has to do with us because Jesus is not just the King of the Jews. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. He's to be your King. He's to be my King. And His visitation and His terms of peace apply to all people. And His tears for Jerusalem apply to to anyone, to all who don't accept Him as their King. Accept Him for the King that He is. To all who don't accept His terms of peace. And so the question is for us this morning, how should we respond? What we've spoken of this morning is is serious. It's, It's a little bit heavy, sober, maybe even fearful to some. We've talked about the tragedy of rejecting Christ. The tragedy of of hell, eternal destruction. But there is triumph in the midst of this tragedy. There's hope. And there's triumph. And and you know where it's found? It's found in the tears of Jesus. Because His tears reveal His heart. 
We have a God who's compassionate. We have a God who wants us to come to Him. We have a God who, when we don't, weeps. Jesus' compassion and love and grace and mercy. Luke didn't record these events just so we would know that Jerusalem would be destroyed. He recorded them to warn us not to reject Jesus. Not to reject His terms of peace. To encourage us that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He visited uh, that He might save. And that He's always ready. He's always willing. He's always uh, willing to spread His wings and, and gather those in who would accept His terms of peace. Jesus wept saying, Oh, that you would have known My visitation. Oh, that today you would have known My terms of peace. Oh, that today you would approve and accept Jesus for who He is. That He's the One who came to save you from your sin. Oh, that today you would approve and accept Jesus. The King has come to His rebellious subjects. And He's offered peace terms. While the time lasts. The peace terms are simple. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Not me. Jesus. Alone. Trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in me alone. Fully and totally surrender to me. There's no, Jesus doesn't come offering peace negotiations. He offers a peace treaty. He offers terms of peace. Lay down your arms. Especially your weapons of, of pride and self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Thinking that you're going to earn something from God. Thinking you're going to work your way to heaven. Thinking you don't, uh, as the Jews were, we don't need someone to save us from our sins. We're good. We're God's chosen people. All right. We're the covenant people. We don't need this Savior. We need to humbly and joyfully admit our defeat. Accept your full and free pardon. God offers uh, to those that have been in rebellion against Him, He offers them total amnesty. If we will swear allegiance to Him as our King, there's nothing and there's nothing more satisfying, nothing uh, more joyful in this world than to be a subject of a King like Jesus. I'd call you to embrace Him for who He truly is. The King who came not to save you, not to save you. This is so often what we think. Jesus came to save us from our temporal earthly troubles. Oh Lord, deliver me from this or that problem. Now, now He's come and He'll walk with you through those problems. But the King has come to save you from your sin. The King who gave His life for you. The King who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I would encourage you today to accept those peace terms. Surrender yourself to Him. Give your life in service and in obedience to Him alone. This is Palm Sunday. Don't tragically reject Christ and face eternal destruction. Instead, allow Him to triumphantly enter. The triumphal entry, the real triumphal entry, is when Christ enters into your life as your King. In a moment, uh, 
I'm going to pray. And Chad's going to come up with the worship team and he's going to lead us. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like guidance in surrendering your life to Christ or for anything else, I'd encourage you to, to come forward as, as Chad sings. If you sit in one of these front pews, someone will come and, and pray with you, counsel with you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for, for this day. Thank you for your heart for us, Lord. Without that heart of compassion, that heart that caused you to weep for Jerusalem, we would have no hope. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would totally, completely surrender ourselves to you. We would, we would know that you've come, that you've visited, and that you've offered us peace, Lord. And we would surrender to that peace completely, giving ourselves totally to you. Lord, making you the, the King of kings and Lord of lords of our life. Give us, give us strength to do that. In Christ's name, amen.